Well, it's officially Christmas here at Lakeside, isn't it? Appreciate that song so much, ladies, and uh, what a great start to the Christmas season. Well, one of the greatest church buildings ever built is St. Paul's Cathedral in London. I'm sure some of you have visited there when you've gone to Europe. Um, It was masterfully designed by the famous architect Sir Christopher Wren back in the 17th century. And as the story goes, during the construction, Wren visited the worksite incognito. And he was just wanting to check out the progress of this magnificent uh, structure. And as he walked around, he saw workers scurrying around doing all sorts of different tasks. And so he walked up to one man and asked him what he was doing. And the man said, well, I'm mixing some mortar. He stopped and asked another man who was doing something, and he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm earning a paycheck. And then he saw a young boy carrying a bucket filled with water and a ladle, and he stopped and asked him what he was doing, expecting him to say that he was providing drinks for the workers, because that's what he was doing. But to his surprise, the boy set down his bucket, and he stood up straight and tall, and he said, I'm helping the great Sir Christopher Wren builds St. Paul's Cathedral. And so that little guy, unlike the first two guys that Wren questioned, he, he saw the big picture. He got it. He knew what he was there for. And I think whenever a group of people come together to accomplish something great, uh, some kind of major project, it's very easy to get focused on all the little details, which so many of you have been doing so well at, Uh, So many people went into uh, the completion of this building and getting us ready for this morning, and we thank you so much for your attention to detail. But it's easy to get so focused sometimes on our individual task or, 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 or project or role that we lose sight of the overall purpose. And I think one of the keys to an effective organization or a group of people, a movement, is that everyone involves it keeps the big picture clear, clearly in view at all times. And I think it's the leadership's responsibility to keep that big picture in front of those that they lead and, and, and by first by just defining it very clearly for everyone, they know what it is, and then just regularly reminding them of it and, and creatively challenging them to stay committed to it. And I consider that to be one of my top priorities as a pastor is to articulate the vision or the big picture of our church so that we all know exactly what we're doing, and maybe more importantly, why we're doing it. I came across an interesting quote a few years back. It goes like this, a high proportion of people who go to church have forgotten what it is all for. Week by week, they attend services in a special building, and they go through their particular time-honored routine, but give little thought to the purpose of what they're doing. And then the author said this, the church needs to reaffirm the non-negotiable essential elements that God designed for it to be committed to. And so that's what I'd like to do for us today. I would not like that quote to apply to our church, right? We have a bunch of people uh, coming uh, to church every week, going through our time-honored routines with little thought of the purpose of why we're here. And so when we talk about the vision or the big picture of a church, what we're talking about is, is often called a philosophy of ministry. I personally prefer to call it a theology of ministry because it's not something that, that I came up with. It's not something that the elders sat down and you know, developed or defined. It's something that we discover and discern from the pages of Scripture. And so a a philosophy or a theology of ministry is basically an an explanation of those non-essential, or excuse me, non-essential, non-negotiable, essential elements uh, or principles on which a ministry is based on and and by which it operates. And I'm so grateful that, that God in His sovereignty surrounded me as a young man in ministry with wise, godly men who who helped me understand the importance of having a clearly defined theology of ministry. Because when a theology of ministry is never clearly defined in the pastor's mind and, and is never clearly communicated to the congregation, everybody just gets caught up in the busy day-to-day, week-to-week schedule of ministry. 
And too often, people become simply passive spectators who just show up for the show every week rather than active participants, and the pastor ends up running around trying to do everything himself while keeping everyone happy. That's not fun. And so ministry becomes this vicious cycle of of meeting the constant demands of people and solving endless problems and simply maintaining the program. And, and, And you may have read a little book like I have over the years called The Tyranny of the Urgent. How many have read that little booklet, The Tyranny of the Urgent? Okay, more of you need to be raising your hands. That's a great little book. Find it on Amazon or something and read it. Just a a little pamphlet called The Tyranny of the Urgent. It's a really life-changing book. And so the point is this, that the tyranny of the urgent style of ministry rarely accomplishes anything of eternal value or significance and typically leads to frustration and fatigue and what is often a ministry problem is burnout not just for the pastor, but the the 20% of the people that are doing, right, 80% of the work or however that goes. Well, there's no reason that that should ever happen in any church since God has clearly laid out for us in His Word the basic blueprint to follow for building a church. And on this historic occasion where we are moving into our new building back to one service, I thought it would be helpful for us this morning to be reminded of what we're doing and where we're going as a church. Shortly after we bought this piece of property, God provided this piece of property, we had an architect drop a, what's called a master plan for our church campus. And this particular building is the second of, of three proposed phases uh, in, in our master plan um, that was included in the original blueprints. But this morning, uh, you already know, it's not about our master plan and our phases and, and wood and stucco and, you know, windows and doors and it's not about the facility, right? It's about us because guess what? We were a church before we ever had a building and, uh, that, and by the way, that was a blessing to not have a facility because nobody was coming to our church because of our facility. Oh, they have a really cool church. No, we were the church. And if you could find us, you could come. Um, and it was refreshing because no, everybody knew. It was very clear. This is not our, our home. We're, the church is a group of people that God brought together and so for His glory. And so this morning, I want us to look at the building within the building. I want us to look at the biblical blueprints for the church to ensure that we all understand not our master plan, but the master's plan for the church, again, which is far more important than our master plan. And so the message this morning I've entitled, The Master's Plan for the Church. And we find these, this master plan, these blueprints, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to take your Bibles and turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's just see what Paul says here to the believers in the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, he says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. And so notice right off the bat that Paul likened the church in Corinth to a building and himself as a builder who was working alongside who? God to build his church. And I think the same can be said about our church, that our church is also God's building. We are God's fellow workers who are assisting Him in building His church. What what an incredible privilege that we have as Christians to be a a part of advancing God's kingdom, building Christ's church here on this earth until He returns. But it's also an awesome responsibility. Notice how Paul warned the Corinthians in verse 10, 
and us, by the way, to be wise and careful builders. He says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and others building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Why? Well, why do we need to be wise? Why do we need to be careful as we move forward as a church into the future? Why? Because God has already precisely poured the foundation of the church in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than which the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Jesus announced his intent to build the church. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, he purchased the church with his own blood that he shed on the cross. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He commissioned his disciples with the mission to build the church, Matthew 28, and empowered them to accomplish the mission by sending them the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came and the church was formed, and God has been adding to it ever since. It's interesting, over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, I heard Fred teaching on this this morning uh, in, in, in the, his equipping hour, referencing Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul, again, calling the church, that now he's talking to the church in Ephesus, he's calling them God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Interesting, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that, Jesus is the foundation. Here he says that the apostles and prophets are the foundation and Christ is the cornerstone. You say, what is it? Which one is it? Yes, both. The apostles and prophets served a very unique role in the founding of the early church. You see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. They were Christ's mouthpieces. And as we've been learning in the Gospel of John, uh, he revealed, Christ revealed his teaching to the apostles and to the prophets through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he had promised to send them for that very purpose. And so the, the apostles and the prophets were recipients of divine revelation, which became the foundational doctrine of the early church. Acts 2.42, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. It was what they were writing, what they, what they were speaking, what they were writing down. And so, in summary, the church was founded on the person and work of Jesus Christ, which was revealed in the apostles' teaching, which we know today as the New Testament. And so, Paul's point back in 1 Corinthians 3, talking about being a, a wise and careful builder building on that foundation, which is Jesus Christ, his point was if, if we're not careful to follow God's blueprint, the master's plan, if you will, when we build on the foundation he's already laid through Christ and the apostles, what he designed to be this sturdy, magnificent, God-honoring fortress will turn out to be some shoddy, crooked shack that dishonors the Lord. Notice how Paul went on to warn the Corinthians and us that God was going to return someday and judge the quality of our work to see if it meets with his standards. Verse 12, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he is Built on remains, he will receive reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. The reality is that God is not only the architect of the church, but he's also the inspector of the church. And the fact that Paul was going to stand before God someday and give an account for his work as God's co-worker served as a source of great accountability for his ministry. And as Christians, listen, we need to understand that, that we are all part of the construction crew 
who will be held responsible someday by Christ himself for our involvement in building the church. Not this building, but the church. I'm not going to be the only one on the hot seat. It's not just going to be the elders and the deacons and the, and the grower leaders. It's all of us will give an account for our involvement in building his church. And, and some, some of you are serving as foremen in the, on the construction crew. Some of you are builders. Others are, you know, doing this job, doing this job. Some of you are just kind of standing around doing nothing. And the knowledge that our life and our ministry will one day be tested by the discerning eye of God should motivate us to, to faithfully follow God's blueprint for his church. One of my mentors, John MacArthur, wrote, a, wrote this in his book, Our Sufficiency in Christ. He said, Scripture is the only perfect blueprint for all true ministry. And those who build according to any other plan are erecting a structure that will be unacceptable to the master architect. And so having a, a biblical philosophy of ministry ensures that we are building a ministry here at Lakeside, that will be acceptable to the master. You say, well, okay, Ken, how do we, how do, what does this look like practically? Okay, we're talking about the big picture, we're talking about the vision, we're talking about the theology of ministry, we're talking about the master's plan. What does this look like practically? Well, obviously, right, what we're saying here uh, is that a theology of ministry, a philosophy of ministry, the why we do what we do, question, right, is, is derived from carefully studying the blueprint for ministry that God has given us right here. This is where it all starts. And, and, and there's a little three-step process that, that, that I think we all need to go through in our hearts and in our minds, and that is, number one, determine the foundational principles of ministry. You just got to look at God's Word, study God's Word, to discover the basic presuppositions on which ministry must be based. Secondly, you need to define the purpose of ministry. Based on those foundational principles, you need to establish a clear purpose statement. What does the Bible say is the purpose or the mission of the church? And then thirdly, you need to develop a, a program of ministry, just create a, a practical strategy that, that faithfully applies the foundational principles and, and effectively accomplishes the purpose. If you've been through our membership class, this might all sound familiar because uh, I typically hand out a, a sheet of paper with a, with a picture of a house on it. How many of you guys remember that house diagram? Okay. If not, we're revoking your membership, right, this morning. Okay, no, just kidding. There's this house diagram that I hand out, and I always just kind of whip through in five minutes because I've taken too much time talking about other things, and I throw it into the last five minutes of the class. And uh, basically, the, the picture is that of a house being built. And I think this is really, uh, if you can envision a, a house being built, a, a construction. Some of you have been constructed your own homes. Uh, you've, you've built a house. You, you watch the, the building go up. You watched your home be built from the ground up. And, and what is the, where, where, where do you start? You start with the foundation, right? That, that's the most important part of the house. If you don't lay the foundation correctly, then the rest of the house is going to be off kilter. And so when it comes to, to laying the foundation for the church, it's crucial that we get it right because it affects everything else we do and everything we believe. And so hopefully in your bulletin you found the notes for this morning. Um, I had to do that because we didn't have a table in the back, right? Isn't that so funny? We have these little time-honored traditions like, hey, where's the table in the back to get my note sheet? I'm so lost. I don't know what to do. Uh, well, hey, we got it in the bulletin this morning, so if you have not pulled that out yet, I want to encourage you to pull that out of your bulletin and follow along with me here, because what we're going to look at this morning, uh, first of all, are eight foundational principles of a God-honoring church. Okay, this is by way of reminder. Some of this is old hat to many of you. Uh, you've heard me teach on this before. Uh, some of this is going to be brand new uh, for some of you, but it's imperative that all of us uh, have a clear understanding of these eight foundational principles of God-honoring God church. These are the, this is the foundation of not just Lakeside Bible Church, but the church of Jesus Christ, okay? And so imagine here, we're, we're laying the foundation. We've already got the, the bedrock, if you will. We found a great piece of land to build on. It's, it's on this rock, and it's called who? Jesus Christ. 
And so he's the, he's the substructure for you. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone, however you want to describe him. But he's the bedrock on which we're building. And then imagine now we come in and we're going to put eight building blocks on top of that bedrock of Jesus Christ. And, and these are the building blocks. Number one, the authority of the Word of God. The authority of the Word of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. The point of that passage is very simple. The Bible is the very words of God. And therefore, they're completely sufficient and absolutely authoritative. In other words, what what God has said in His Word is enough, and He always has the final say in everything. When He speaks, the only proper response is to submit and to obey what it says. You've all seen the cute bumper sticker or t-shirt or something over the years that says, God said in His Word, I believe it in my heart, and that settles it in my mind. Well, that sounds good, but that's not true, okay? God said it. That settles it, period. Whether you believe it in your heart or not, whether it feels good or not, right? If God said it, that settles it, period. End of story. Furthermore, it's a preacher's duty to faithfully proclaim God's word, the scriptures, with authority and be absolutely convinced that the Bible is totally sufficient for all aspects of ministry, that this is all we need. And so the Bible is the final authority for everything we believe and do here at Lakeside Bible Church. It's the only trustworthy standard of what to believe and how to live. And so the first foundational principle of a God-honoring church is the authority of the Word of God. Secondly is the supremacy of the glory of God. The supremacy of the glory of God. You all know 1 Corinthians 10.31. I'm sure you have it memorized. It says this. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All that to say, the supreme purpose of everything we do must be to glorify God. The reformers, the the Puritans, um, got it right in the Westminster Confession of Faith when they asked the first question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer was what? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end. That's the main goal. Why? Because God is jealous for His glory and He will not share it with anyone else. And so therefore we need to strive not to make a name for ourselves, but to always and only to make God's name great. And when we have a high view of God, it will keep us from striving to please man, right? rather than trying to please people. Excuse me, we we should be striving to please God, right? Not to please people. Ministry must be God-centered, not man-centered. Why? Because we're all about the glory of God. And so the glory of God is the ultimate priority of Lakeside Bible Church. So you have the authority of the Word of God, the supremacy of the glory of God, and then thirdly, you've got the centrality of the Son of God. You've got the centrality of the Son of God. And several years ago, we went through the book of Colossians. It seems forever ago. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says about Christ, Christ is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. If I were to ask you, What is the most important part of your body that you can't live without? Survey says, probably your head, right? You need that. That's helpful uh, if you're going to continue to live, right? Yeah, it's the most important. It's the central part of your body. And so the point is that Jesus is not only the central figure of history, he's the central figure of the church. And particularly, his sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross must be the focus of everything. The cross. I know some of you are already thinking, where's the cross? We need a cross in here, right? 
We're working on it, okay? We're working on it. Um, why, why do you walk into a church and, and, and typically you see a cross on the back wall? That's hopefully living out the truth of God's word that, 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 that the substitutionary sacrifice of death of Christ on the cross is the focus of everything we do. And, and Christ is not only the means of salvation, how we're saved, right? He's also the goal of salvation, to be like Christ. Why are we saved? So we can go to heaven when we die? No, so we can be like Jesus. That's why we're saved. And so the personal work of Jesus Christ is the central focus of LBC, Lakeside Bible Church, right? The centrality of the Son of God. Number four is the efficacy of the Spirit of God. The efficacy of the Spirit of God. Now, you're already thinking, what in the world does that mean? Well, you remember back in John 16, 8, we learned this just a few weeks ago about the Holy Spirit. It says, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, the Spirit of God is the one who convicts. He's the one who causes the preaching of God's word, the sharing of the gospel, to be efficacious. Uh, Webster's dictionary defines efficacy as the cause of an effect. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can cause change and produce lasting results in people's lives. So the Spirit of God is ultimately responsible for salvation, right? And also, sanctification. And so, in order to have a a powerful and effective ministry, we must minister in utter dependence and total reliance on the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. So, our church is utterly dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to affect change in people's lives. I can stand up here for the next 40 years and preach till I'm blue in the face, unless the Spirit of God applies His Word to hearts of, of men and women, young people, children, nobody's ever going to change. It's not my eloquence. It's not my intelligence. It's not my ability to reason and to, right? It's the Spirit of God that uses the Word of God. And when the Word of God is proclaimed in the power of the Spirit of God, lives are transformed. So we have the authority of the Word of God, the supremacy of the glory of God, the centrality of the Son of God, the efficacy of the Spirit of God, and then number five, the depravity of man. The depravity of man, another foundational principle of a God-honoring church. Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Man was created in the image of God, but that image has been distorted because of sin. And so as a result, all of us are helplessly lost in sin and helplessly doomed for hell. And so while that may not be fun to hear, right, um, people need to be confronted with the reality of their depravity, which is ultimately their inability, right? Why? The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, which makes it impossible for us to do anything to bring ourselves back to life, let alone anyone else. You can't reason with people, you can't manipulate people, you can't have enough altar calls and enough standards of just as I am and get them to come down the aisles, right? You can't do that, right? Ultimately, right, it is God who, who saves us. And so the joy of, of Lakeside Bible Church is showing people how they can be forgiven for their sin and also delivered from the power and the penalty of their sin. And so the depravity of man is, 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 a, is a key foundational principle here. Number six, it really comes right on the heels of the depravity of man, and that's the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. The point is this, that since we can do nothing to save ourselves, God must do what? Everything. He's in complete control of the entire process of salvation from beginning to end, and therefore we can't employ or rely on some kind of pragmatic approach to convince or coerce people to get saved. We need to simply proclaim the gospel, 
and, and prayerfully trust God to save those that he's chosen to save. Our job is to just faithfully present the gospel clearly and accurately and leave the results to him. Leave the results to God. And so the mission of our church is to, to share the good news of salvation with as many people as possible. And then you have number seven, another foundational principle of the God-honoring church is the primacy of the church. The primacy of the church. We already quoted Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The point is this, that the church is precious to Christ and it should be precious to us as well. And what that looks like practically is that the majority of our time and energy and money should be committed to and channeled through the church. Nothing wrong with parachurch organizations or ministries outside the local body, but the local church is, is, the, is, is, is what God has ordained as the primary means to advance His kingdom on earth in this present age. And so believers all over the world group together in, in local bodies uh, local churches to worship God and to, to be a witness for Christ in their community. And so that's what we're doing here at Lakeside Bible Church. This is a place of worship and it's a place of witness in the Lake Conroe area. The primacy of the church. And then lastly, number eight, is the imminency of Christ's return. The, the imminency of Christ's return. And again, we've been studying in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. Jesus said, verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. What does that mean for us practically? It means that Jesus could come back at any moment, any second. Jesus could, could come back, and, and we understand that we are living as aliens and strangers in this foreign land, hoping and waiting for that glorious moment when Christ will return. This is what we call our blessed hope, right? The Bible calls it the blessed hope, and, it, and what does it do? It creates a spirit of anticipation. We're excited about the future, and it also creates a sense of urgency in all that we do. That we don't know when the Lord's coming back. And so there's a lot of work left to be done. There's a lot of people that haven't heard the gospel yet, right? We need to get to work. We need to stay busy. We need to occupy until he comes. And so these eight principles form the foundation for a God-honoring church. Now, if you've been a Bible student for, for any length of time, those eight principles probably sound very familiar to you, and you're like, where have I heard these before? Well, what are they? They're, they're basically the eight fundamental doctrines of the Bible. They're, they're all the truth that the Bible teaches, organized, summarized, or systematized into eight basic categories. This is what we refer to as systematic theology. And so all that to say, what is the foundation of the church? You've got Christ, he's the bedrock, and then you've got the Bible. It's the foundation of the church. I had a seminary professor, he was my favorite seminary professor, and he drummed into us one line that, that he said over and over and over again. He's like, man, <laughs> kind of talk kind of funny, man, your theology must control your methodology. Your theology must control your methodology. In other words, these eight principles control everything that we think, say, and do in this church. And if they don't, then we don't really believe them. And so these are the things that determine why we do what we do as well as why we don't do certain things. Some have asked, well, why don't you do that? Why don't you have this? Why haven't you don't? Well, there's a reason for that. How much time do you got? Because I'll go back and I'll tell you the eight fundamental principles, foundational principles of our church. And, and no, the reason why we don't do that is because of this particular foundational truth. And so once you've poured the foundation, what's the next step? Building a house. You begin to frame up 
the walls, right? And, and that really represents the second step of once you've got the foundation laid, you, you need to define the biblical purposes for the church. So we, we understand the doctrine of the church. Now, what is the direction of the church? Where, where are we supposed to be going? What are we supposed to be accomplishing? And so I want to just talk with you briefly about now three fundamental purposes of a God-honoring church. And, and to do this, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Again, a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 28. Here we have the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We know these as Jesus' famous last words to his disciples. Uh, he was giving them their marching orders for ministry. He was outlining the mission, the purpose of the church for all time. He was basically telling us here the, the what and the how of the church. What are we supposed to be doing and how are we supposed to be doing it? And so just breaking this, this, this passage down, specifically verses 19 and 20, we know that the main verb here in verse 19 is what? Make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That is what we're supposed to be doing. That is the main thing that we're to keep the main thing, is we are to be making disciples. We're to be making followers of Jesus. And this main verb is supported by three what are called participles. In other words, it tells us how we're to go about making disciples. Well, first of all, you need to go. Literally, it should be going... Therefore, make disciples of all nations. In other words, uh, as you're going, in other words, you just can't sit around here and expect to make disciples. You've got to go out where the people are that, need to, that, that aren't disciples, who need to become disciples. And then you, number two, baptize them. It says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That implies that they've gotten what? Saved, right? So people have gotten saved. You've led someone to Christ, and so you baptize them, but then you don't just leave them there, right? After the baptism, say, hey, nice knowing you. Have a good life. No. The third thing is to teach them. It says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. In other words, this is the the sanctification process. This is the helping people grow in Christ. And so I think this here in the Great Commission, we have a concise summary of really the, the two primary purposes of the church. The church exists to save and to sanctify God's chosen people. So we exist to evangelize the lost and to edify and equip the saints to reach and to teach, however you want to describe it, lots of different ways to say it. And so our first purpose is to evangelize. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth, right? So we are to be witnesses. It is our great responsibility, great privilege to evangelize the lost. We must be faithful to clearly and consistently present the gospel and then dependently and passionately pray for God to grant people repentance and faith. Secondly, we also need to edify or equip the body to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects unto him, into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in Love. That's what we're talking about when we say edification or equipping. We're building up. 
And so it's not only the responsibility of the church to lead people to Christ, but also to train them to be like Christ. And so the goal of our church is to help people become spiritually mature in Christ. That is to grow in the image and the likeness of Christ, to to be like Christ in the way that you live your life. Now, how does this flesh itself out practically? Well, according to the pattern of the New Testament, and the church in the book of Acts, for example, is they, they gathered to be edified, to be equipped, and they would scatter to evangelize. Now, this is where I think some churches kind of get kind of confused, right? I've had people say, well, you know, that church really is being used by God to win a lot of people to Christ. But they really don't disciple a lot of people. Well, that church is being used, right, to disciple people and, and help them grow. Well, is it really? Is it, did God intend for one church to be an evangelistic church and one church to be an edification church? I think he meant every church to be an evangelistic church and an edification church. So how do you do that? Well, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, this morning, for example, or on Wednesday nights, our goal is, is not to attract and reach the lost on Sunday mornings, per se, while that happens. There's always unbelievers in our midst on Sunday morning, and we pray every Sunday morning that God would, would bring them to Christ. And you know that I'm regularly referencing the gospel on Sundays and Wednesdays and special occasions. Why? Because I always know there's unbelievers there. But, but the main goal here is to nourish you, to equip you, to build you up. Why? So you can go out of here and be, in a faithful, be a faithful, effective witness at home, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, right? Where does evangelism take place? Not so much within the four walls of the church, but it's happening out there. And so when you come here, we want to equip you, we want to build you up, we want to help you grow and mature and get bold and strong so you can go out and be a witness for Christ. And then, by the way, when you, God uses you maybe to win that person to Christ, what do you do? You, you bring them back. You, you say, hey, let me introduce you to my pastor. Let me introduce you to, to my friends. Hey, why don't you come to our grow group? Why don't you come to Wednesday night? Why don't you come to women's Bible study? Why don't you come to our, our men's ministry? So the church becomes supplemental to your personal witness. And so when there's this, I think, biblical balance between these two primary purposes of evangelism and edification, we will naturally, as a church, accomplish the third and ultimate purpose of the church, which is what? Exaltation. Exaltation. That God would be glorified. And you know we've chosen as our theme verse for all of our building campaigns so far is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so it's absolutely essential that we see this church as an institution established for the glory of God. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about any of us, right? It's about God and His glory. And when people are saved and and, and when they're helped along the path towards spiritual maturity, guess what is happening? God is being glorified. And His kingdom is advanced. His name is being made great. And so over the years, we've employed a number of different phrases and things to to kind of creatively remember these these three things. There's an upward focus to glorify God. There's an inward focus to be edified, right? And there's an outward focus. We're looking in three directions all at the same time. Uh, We're talking about loving God. We're talking about loving each other. And we're talking about loving the lost. We're we're magnifying God, we're edifying the saints, we're testifying to unbelievers. And I'm sure by now you've memorized our mission statement, right? Because it's on the back of every bulletin, and Lord willing, it's going to be on the wall as you walk in. First thing you see is going to be our mission statement, so we never forget it. And if you would take your bulletin out 
and turn to the back page because I think this is a creative way to pull these three purposes together and really concisely summarize the overall purpose of not just this church, the church of Jesus Christ. Let's say it together. We exist to glorify God by proclaiming and living His Word so that people come to know Jesus Christ and grow to be like Him. That's our mission. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Now, practically, you say, how do do we fulfill this mission, accomplish these three purposes? I said there was a third step, and just very quickly, the, the last thing you typically do on a house is you put on the roof, right? And so really this represents the the program or the strategy that you develop to apply the foundational principles to accomplish the biblical purposes, um, right? And so I think when you think about it, the, the, the principles and the purposes should be the same in every church. I don't care what church you go to, if you looked at their doctrinal statement and you looked at their, their, the purpose of why they exist, it should all be the same. Why? Because it comes straight out either biblical absolutes. However, I think that there are different strategies that churches might come up with to help people come to know Christ and grow in Christ that may not be the same as what we're doing here at Lakeside Bible Church. We may be doing something different than other churches. It doesn't make it necessarily right or wrong when it comes to strategies as long as the methodology that you're using is lining up with your theology, right, with biblical theology. Now, it basically starts with, and when we're thinking about, okay, how are we going to make disciples? Well, we, we, we start thinking about the community, right? So we got this community out here we want to reach, and we want to get them to be a part of the crowd here. And once they're a part of the crowd, we want them to commit to membership. And, and after they committed to membership, we want them to become a core member of our church, where they're basically going full circle out and reaching other community members and helping them get to the core, right? And the climax of this process ultimately is, is what? Or who? Christ. Christ-likeness. We proclaim Him, teaching and admonishing every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. So at the end of the day, it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus, is it not? And so my question for you this morning is where are you at in this process? Where are you at? What is it going to take for you to, to go from maybe just being a part of this crowd to being a committed member to being a core person in our church and ultimately becoming a Christ-like example who is able to lead others to Christ and disciple them to be like Christ, like you're being like Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. What's it going to take? For some of you, you know what it's going to take? You need to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's where it starts for you. You need to know Jesus. Some of you, it's just, you know what? You need to start spending some time every day in God's Word and prayer. You're a Christian, but you really don't, you're not developing your relationship with Christ. You're not spending time with Christ. Uh, how about attending church on a consistent basis? Uh, that's a good place to be, right? You say, well, I'm, I know Christ and I'm spending time with, in the Word, but you know, I, I just need to be more consistent. Well, maybe that's what you need to think about today, being more consistent. Here, it, it, how about joining the church, be, being a committed member of the church? How about being active in a grow group? And then from that grow group, maybe developing a one-on-one discipleship relationship where you start meeting with someone every week, one-on-one, and helping each other grow and mature in your walk with Christ? How about plugging into ministry, where you can serve and use your spiritual gifts? For some of you, the only thing that you're lacking or the only thing that's missing in your life is the reaching out to unbelievers in your sphere of influence, building relationships with them, sharing the gospel with them, Inviting them to come to church with you, 
I think all of us can grow in that area, can't we as a church? Being more faithful as witnesses. But listen, beloved, if we are faithful to magnify the Lord and edify the body and testify to this community, we will multiply. We'll multiply. And I was sort of kidding, but not really when I said, yeah, next week we're going back to two services because from the looks of this, if we are all faithful this week to go out and talk to to one person about Jesus and invite them to church next Sunday, there ain't going to be enough room for them. But wouldn't that be a blessing, wouldn't it? To see not just transfer growth, people coming from other churches, moving into the area, right? That's great. We love everyone who comes that already knows Christ. But, but how, about, how about conversion growth? How about conversion growth? People just coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very, for the very first time. And this becomes their church home. And we would have the privilege of discipling them and, and maturing them and growing them to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy uh, that you have just poured out upon us. We are so undeserving, Lord. Who is adequate for these things? Surely not us. But we're just humble today to think that you have been so good and so kind to us. We just want to say thank you. And Lord, I pray that this was a helpful reminder for all of us as we sit here in our new building that you provided for us, that that we know ultimately it's not about this building. There's something going on behind the scenes that is far more important, and that is your master plan for the church. And Lord, that's what we want to get most excited about. That's what we want to get committed to. And so Lord, help all of us, Lord, that that none of us would be slipping through the cracks. There'd be no stragglers in the bunch, Lord. we, We would all see ourselves in this construction crew that have a vital role to play in what you're accomplishing here as you're building the body of Christ here at Lakeside. And Lord, I pray that you would use us as we continue to grow and mature and be better equipped and edified, Lord, that we would be more faithful as we go out of this place every Sunday, Lord, to be salt and light in this community. And that we would see you accomplish great and mighty things through us to bring many lost people to Christ for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.